If you're looking for something to do this May 30th through June 2nd, why don't you join us at CrimeCon in Nashville, Tennessee? We can all rub elbows with people like John Walsh, John Douglas, and Chris Hansen. Come and visit Murder in the Rain on Podcast Row, where we'll be sitting next to some of our own favorite podcasts. You can get 10% off your tickets by using code RAIN at checkout at CrimeCon.com. I'm Emily Rowney. And I'm Alicia Holland. This is Bill Camp, the voice of Forensic Files 2 on HLN, and you're listening to Murder in the Rain. Have you heard of the term Xenial? For those of you who haven't, a Xenial is a micro-generation, a group of people who are on the cusp, bridging the gap between Generation X and Millennials. Most agree that these are people born between 1977 and 1983. I myself am a Xenial, and so That's are you. That's right, gladly. And so are you, right? He's a Gen Xer at heart. As a Xennial, I grew up having to watch commercials, having no luxury of pause or fast forward unless I could convince my mom to videotape my favorite show for me. I wrote letters, like real handwritten letters, to my friends that lived out of state because it was a luxury to make long distance phone calls. And I could only do that, you know, maybe a couple times a year I could buy a calling card. If I wanted to hang out with a friend, I had to call them on a landline. And if their parents didn't dish out the extra money for call waiting, I would usually just risk it by walking to their house, knocking on the door to see if they could hang out. And guess what? We survived. And we know how to use a rotary phone. But we also quickly made the pivot to digital reliance. My generation is the generation that bridged the gap between the days of yore and what we now call the digital age. As Wikipedia puts it, Xennials are described as having an analog childhood and a digital young adulthood. No matter the generation, most of us cannot live without our smartphones these days. It wakes us up in the morning, notifies us when our favorite creator posts a funny video, lets us track our period, diagnoses our ailments to help us realize we're dying from a new disease every month, it lights up the theater floor when we drop something, and it helps us connect to people all over the world or in our city. I was talking to my daughter about how my class, the class of 2000, was likely one of the last classes where mobile phones were not the norm. I had a single friend with a cell phone my senior year. I myself didn't get a cell phone until my second year of college, and I didn't get a smartphone until I was 27, which is shocking since I'm always on my phone. That's true. So that means I'm one of those old folks that dated without ever using a website or app. I remember being well into an established relationship when a few of my single friends started diving into the online dating world. It fascinated me. I was captivated by all their exciting dinners and all the bars they explored. With every amazing story of romance, there were several more that left me shocked and on the edge of my seat. The nasty comments and emails, the catfishing, and of course, stories of nightmare dates. As much as I was enthralled with it, I'm still a little leery of online dating. Since I have become single, I've only ever gone out with three people I met on dating apps. And as much as my friends will say that's because I'm picky AF, let's be honest, we host a true crime podcast. And I spent my late 20s totally addicted to Catfish the TV show. I know what's out there. You're still picky. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Humankind is plagued with violence, and it seems like the digital world may help to increase it, or at least help to provide an easier way to witness it, as well as provide predators easier access to victims. We've talked many times about how crimes caught on video have pros and cons. The pros, we can likely catch criminals more easily because we can identify them more easily. The cons, videos can be posted anywhere. Victims can be exploited and people can interfere with cases. The same can be said for online dating. There are pros and cons. There are a ton of pros. People can look for love or whatever they're looking for more efficiently, easily matching with people who have shared interests. You can meet people you would have never met if not online. But for every good profile, there's usually a fake one or two. Why are they doing it? For shits and giggles? Maybe. Or it could be something more sinister. According to Pew Research Center, or PRC, as of last year, over 30% of U.S. adults have used a dating app or website. While many of them have had pleasant experiences, a significant portion of women have reported harassment 
or explicit messages. 57% of women noted that they got a sexually explicit message or image. It can get worse when those online conversations turn into real-life liaisons. There are plenty of cases of rape and attempted rape when these matches go offline. In another study conducted between Columbia Journalism Investigations and Columbia University subject matter experts, a group of 2,151 women were polled and some startling statistics were uncovered. 31% of women polled reported being sexually assaulted or raped by a person they met through an online dating app. 31%. And according to an article published by the National Crime Agency in 2016, 72% of these assaults happen in one of the individual's homes. And let me ask you guys, when someone is signing up for Tinder, because a huge portion of the world is signed up for Tinder, I'm talking 57 million users, but when they're signing up, is there a question that asks, are you a sex offender? Have you been convicted of a violent crime? That would be a no. While dating apps may ban people who get flagged too many times, and they may even filter fake accounts once in a while, they aren't actively prohibiting offenders from using the app. A predator can falsify their appearance, their personal information, their employment, and basically cultivate the perfect account to draw a victim in. A wolf in sheep's clothing thrives behind the screen. There are no background checks. Some don't even do identity verifications. Maybe they have some language in their terms of use, but what good does that do when someone actually goes on to commit a crime? Technology-facilitated sexual violence, or TFSV, is a term that was created to describe digitally-focused harassment. This can include sexual harassment, gender and sexuality-based harassment, cyber-stalking, image-based sexual exploitation, revenge porn, sexual abuse, and sexual violence. And unfortunately, the violence doesn't always stop there. More and more, we're seeing cases of murder facilitated through dating apps. Today, we'll share two cases, both tragedies that occurred in 2016 after two people made a connection on the popular dating site Plenty of Fish. These are the murders of Ingrid Line and Christine Wood. <music> Washington State residents Phil and Ingrid Line had been divorced for about two years and they had shared custody of their three daughters, Noelle, 12, Brooke, 10, and Reese, 7. Though the pair were divorced, they were incredibly amicable, friends even, and they were both determined to co-parent their children to the best of their ability. On Saturday, April 9, 2016, just after 10 a.m., Phil arrived at Ingrid's house in Renton, just south of Seattle. He had had the girls overnight and was returning them to their mothers as they had previously planned. As he pulled up to the house, he noticed her Toyota Highlander was not in the driveway as expected. He walked to the front door and began knocking and then ringing the bell. He quickly realized she was not home. This was strange and unexpected. In the past, if Ingrid had plans that would take her away from the home, they would discuss so they knew what time to meet. Even as a nurse at Swedish Medical Center, her schedule was very regular and didn't require her to come in last minute or on the weekends. Assuming something had come up, he tried calling her. After several attempts, she didn't pick up. That's when he called her mother. Georgia Bass, Ingrid's mother, lived close by and had a key to her house. After receiving a call from Phil, she drove over and let Phil and the girls in the house. Ingrid wasn't inside. However, her mother discovered her purse, phone, computer, and tablet were. That's when she knew something was wrong, and she called the police. 911, reporting. It's a missing person out of our city, so Line is her last name. Mm -hmm. Her name, Ingrid, she and her vehicle are missing. And what kind of car? A silver 2015 Toyota Highlander. And do we have any ideas of where she might be going, or? No, uh, her ex-husband was dropping the kids off, mm -hmm. and she wasn't there. Okay. This never happened. Officer Elliot arrived to meet with Georgia and Phil, and he spoke to several of Ingrid's friends to see if they had information. One of her friends noted that the last time she had interacted with Ingrid was the night before, April 8th. This was around 10.30 p.m. Ingrid had texted her friend to let her know she was out on a date with someone named John. Ingrid's neighbor, Kathy, also confirmed that she had been dating a 37-year-old man named John for about six to eight weeks. She knew John was a day laborer, and she mentioned that Ingrid had told her she had plans to go to a Mariners game with John on Friday. 
This was confirmed when Officer Elliott checked Ingrid's computer and saw two Mariners tickets dated for April 8th at 7.10 p.m. Neither Georgia or Phil knew who John was, but Georgia remembered that she and Ingrid shared a Verizon account. She quickly logged in to see if Ingrid's phone records had any clues that would help her find out where she was. Almost immediately, she noticed that one phone number stood out. Ingrid appeared to talk to the person on the other line repeatedly. The number had a Montana area code. Georgia quickly sent the number a text message from Ingrid's cell phone. She asked the 406 number who it was, and they replied with, my name is John. Georgia went on to ask, when did you see her last, meaning Ingrid? She's not here. Her phone is here and driver's license and purse, but she's not. Please respond. I've called 911. John then responded, 911, what's going on? We went to a Mariners game last night, but we didn't stay the night together because she has her kids today. Not sure what she told you about our relationship. At this point, Georgia is certain that the person on the other end is the same John that the neighbor mentioned, but she didn't have his last name. So Ingrid's sister went on Facebook and typed in the cell phone number, which yielded a result for one John Charlton. Georgia texted him again. She's missing. What time did you see her last? A police officer needs to speak with you as you may be the last person who saw her. Please call. There was never a response. The majority of April 9th was filled with Georgia, Phil, and Officer Elliot calling and texting everyone that knew Ingrid in the hopes of tracking her down. Later that afternoon, a little bit more than 10 miles north in Seattle, a ghastly discovery was made. Mike Navazio had been out of state for a couple of days. Before he left, he put his recycling out, which was scheduled to be picked up on Thursday, April 7th. When he arrived home on April 9th, just after 4 p.m., he went to take the recycling back to the house. As he pulled it from the curb, he noticed it was very heavy. Odd. He thought it should have been emptied on Thursday. He pulled the container over and dumped the contents onto his lawn. As he looked down, he noticed three plastic bags, kitchen garbage bags, but they were packed up like something you would see on Dexter. To quote Mr. Navazio, I grabbed the first bag and it was almost professionally packaged, but it was very eerie. I could see as I pulled it out, there was an outline of a face. Mike then called the police. Just dumped in someone, like, just on the curb. Yeah, one of those tall Like, what I hesitate bins. to do if I have dog poop and I need to just toss it in a bin. Yes. Someone put a body in someone's recycling bin. When police arrived around 4.30 that afternoon, they discovered the bags that Mike had found in his Seattle recycling bin. They contained dismembered body parts. There was a head a foot, an arm with a hand intact, a lower leg, and a foot. It was obvious the dismemberment was very recent because the head showed no signs of decomposition. The entire face was intact, and it was obvious it was a woman. Clearly, they had a homicide on their hands, and they believed it would have happened late April 8th or early on April 9th. Due to how recent the murder was, it would be very easy to identify the victim if they could locate photos of anyone who was recently missing. So one of the first things officers did was reach out to local law enforcement agencies to gather a list of missing women. This led them quickly to the recent report that was filed for Ingrid Line. They compared her Facebook photos to the woman's face and were fairly certain they had a match. They did, of course, send the remains to the medical examiner who later confirmed without a doubt that the dismembered body was Ingrid Line. By Sunday, April 10th, detectives were assigned to the case and had been granted permission to conduct a search of Ingrid's home. The first bit of evidence was gathered from the kitchen. A box of nearly empty plastic garbage bags were located, and they matched the same size, color, and type of bags that the body parts were packaged in. They then found the most telling evidence in one of the bathrooms. Next to the bathtub was a 15-inch pruning saw. Blood and human tissue were discovered in the drain. Detectives believe that Ingrid was killed in her own home and dismembered in her bathtub. At this point, police had enough probable cause to arrest John Charlton, and they picked him up in Lake Stevens, Washington on April 11th. Officers were able to arrest him without issue and brought him in for questioning. Charlton appeared to have no issue talking to police. Right away, he explained that he was homeless and he had been staying with an ex-girlfriend, and that's where police had found him when he was arrested. 
Oddly enough, he even told police that he was, quote, not a normal person. When asked about Ingrid, he told police the following. He had met Ingrid on a dating app and they had been seeing each other for about a month. This is along the lines of what Ingrid's neighbor had told police. He went on to say that he had spent the night with Ingrid on multiple occasions in her home. However, he claims that he did not stay with her the night of April 8th. The pair went to a Mariners game, and then after, they decided to go to a bar where they both started drinking. This is when the story gets fuzzy. He immediately says that he doesn't know how the pair got back to Ingrid's home after the bar and doesn't remember what happened there. He was just too drunk. But he did acknowledge that they were there and that he thought they had sex. He also thought she was acting weird. He repeated that he wasn't sure when or how he left Ingrid's home, but he knew he did because he woke up on a sidewalk in downtown Seattle. He went on to tell police that he had no idea if Ingrid had plans with anyone else that evening. I have maybe a naive question. Sure. As someone that doesn't drink and has never been drunk, can you be so drunk that you wouldn't know if you had sex? Yes. Okay. The, the state of blackout, which is still functional. Like you, you could physically have sex, but yes. be so but it's, gone it's that you wouldn't know. It's almost like you you're recording the screen, but it's completely black and you can't mm. see what's happening. You have no memory. And I have been blackout drunk twice in my life and I have no recollection what oh, happened. That's so scary. It is very scary. That's why I do not do it. <laughs> that's I do good. not drink. <laughs> you learn lessons. During the interview, Charlton was adamant that he didn't have any injuries. However, the detectives questioning him noted that he had multiple abrasions on his forehead, an injury on his lip, and an injury on his chin, and what appeared to be scratches on his chest and left hand. These injuries were consistent with defensive wounds that a victim might inflict on an attacker. While John Charlton was in custody, police looked into his past and found that he had committed crimes in six different states. In 1997, he had an assault conviction in King County, which is the county Renton and Seattle are located in. In 1998, he was cited for negligent driving in Washington. In 2006, he had a felony charge for attempted robbery in Utah. In 2009, he had a misdemeanor battery case in Idaho, and he was convicted of a felony theft in Montana. There was also disturbing information provided by his own parents. They claimed that when he was drunk, he was abusive and would often provoke fights with them. And they had proof. In 2006, his parents filed a protection order against him. This is what his father wrote in the protection order. March 2, 2006, upon arrival home after work, the respondent was found drunk. He tried continuously to provoke a fight by yelling foul language very close to our faces and physically pushing his chest into my body. Police were called and verified that he was intoxicated. He continued to be verbally violent for a couple of hours until a taxi arrived to take him to work. During this time frame, he removed a movie from the shelf called Hannibal, set it in front of my wife, and told her she should watch it and beware. We feared he could inflict imminent physical harm, bodily injury, or assault. The same day that John Charlton was arrested, police finally located Ingrid's 2015 silver Toyota Highlander. The vehicle was in downtown Seattle, near the area that Charlton claims to have woken up on the sidewalk. At this time, detectives painted a solid picture of what they thought had happened. Charlton and Ingrid go to the Mariners game. They are actually seen entering and leaving on video surveillance. They go to a bar nearby and eventually go back to Ingrid's. Something happens, whether it's a fight or John loses control, but he strangles Ingrid to death. This, again, likely happened very late the night of the 8th or in the early hours of the 9th. He proceeded to dismember Ingrid's body and wrap her in the garbage bags. He then stole her car and dumped part of her body in the recycling bin 10 miles away. They theorized that Ingrid's other body parts were likely scattered around Seattle, so they were basically stuck waiting for another person to stumble upon her. On Wednesday, April 13th, Charlton was charged with first-degree murder and theft of a motor vehicle. He was held on $2 million bail, and his first court appearance was scheduled for April 27th. No one paid his bail, so he awaited his fate in jail. More of Ingrid's body parts were found on April 15th. 
This time, her remains were discovered by a garbage collector. They were in a garbage bag inside of a cooler near 20th and Marion. This location is a two-minute drive from where her head, arm, and leg were found. Three days later, on April 18th, more severed body parts were found in a recycling center on South Hanford Street in the Industrial District of Seattle. Three different locations, multiple body parts, but they still didn't have all of Ingrid. And unfortunately, the rest of her remains are still missing to this day. For roughly a year, John Charlton refused to acknowledge that he had done anything nefarious to Ingrid Lyne. But then, one day in October of 2017, he changed his tune. No one really knows what spurred it. Perhaps him and his lawyers realized that it would be an incredibly uphill battle to prove that he had nothing to do with her murder. But he finally admitted what he had done. On Monday, October 2nd, 2017, Charlton went before the court to plead guilty for stealing Ingrid's car, murdering her, and then dismembering her body. Whatever his reasoning was for finally telling the truth, the benefit was that Ingrid's family wouldn't have to sit through a lengthy and painful trial full of the gruesome details of her untimely death. On January 5th, 2018, it was finally time for Charlton's sentencing. This is rough because personally, I think it would and should be longer, but you know the deal. At the time of his sentencing, he was 39 years old. The judge decided to give him the maximum sentence for his charges, which are 27 years and nine months. This means that he will be out of prison around the age of 64. How is that possible that that's the maximum? I feel like there's so many other charges that could have been applied. Like dismembering a body is just I so mean, gnarly. Yeah, the disposal and the... The like fright that you're causing upon the neighborhood too. Yeah. It's that's, horrible. But I just And think, also to have it, I don't care that it's not premeditated if that's how you act because you had a couple beers. That is concerning. Yeah, and I'm guessing he drank a whole lot more before his date because that, if he was drunk. I oh, don't, yeah. I'm not saying he was. Well, and I would guess there's a lot of mental... Yes. Uh, issues going on as well. So it's. Uh. I'm not sure what his motive was or whether or not he's truly remorseful, but in court, he did address everyone and say, I agree there are no words that can alleviate the pain I've caused. For that, I'm truly sorry. There is currently an active GoFundMe set up for Ingrid's three daughters, and it's sitting at almost $270,000, which brings them very close to their goal of $300,000. Her father has expressed that the funds are only for the children and they will use them in a way that is fulfilling to them and brings them joy. If you wish to contribute, you can go to GoFundMe.com and look up Daughters of Ingrid Line. And we'll also have a link in our show notes and our episode blog. Now, I realize I didn't mention Plenty of Fish that he called it out. Um, so what had happened was they looked at all of Ingrid's dating accounts. She had multiple accounts and there was one for John on Plenty of Fish. So the assumption is that is where they oh, first uh -huh. connected. Uh, but that was never since there was no trial that was never oh, um, right. told to us. It's implied. You know, as someone that used to have accounts on basically every site. I'll just say I'm not surprised this guy was I mean, on Plenty of Fish. That's the one where you can message anybody, right? Yeah, Plenty of Fish, as far as the hierarchy of dating apps, is that's kind of where everyone starts. And it's also just known as being um, maybe not the highest quality. I was on it for three total days before I was overwhelmed with the messages I was receiving yeah. and deleted it. Yes. So this case had me thinking... We really have no idea how much Ingrid knew about John. I don't know if she knew he was homeless. Maybe she thought he was staying with a friend because he was like moving around in the area. I don't think she knew he was staying with an ex-girlfriend. Uh, but it's it's interesting to think how little her friends knew about this person that had been mm -hmm. in her life for over a month. Yeah. Well, and that just depends on how she dated. You know, if it was casual and they only saw each other maybe on the weekends or something and you're still trying to figure out and that is it because his account it said not looking for anything serious like they, i think they were very casual yeah especially you know she's got young kids and, and freshly divorced yeah so she's just you know plenty of fish just dipping your toes back in just trying to remember you know how do i socialize how do i date that kind of stuff mm -hmm. and then his the ex-girlfriend he was staying with she corroborated 
everything his parents were saying about him. She said when he would drink, he was incredibly mean and scary. So it is quite possible that he was drunk. And maybe he remembers it, maybe he doesn't, but at well, least he, he admitted it. You left the weapon next to the bathtub. You didn't clean up. You dumped her body fairly publicly or at least easily found But it's for interesting the most that part. they were, the guy said they were packaged perfectly. Yeah. Almost like a butcher. Did he, did it ever say, did he work? No idea. But I mean, I mean he's. That he, could even be like Subway or something. You know, you get used to wrapping <laughs> stuff with that sandwich. No, I mean like it, not necessarily sure, a butcher, you but. Get, you get skilled at it. Yeah. Different jobs have things that kind of are similar to that. So. Well, I'm serious. <laughs> I like, it's like butcher wrapping. I was just laughing at being like, did someone say Subway? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know I'm very protective of myself. I do, yes. (laughs) So if that wasn't scary enough, I do have one more case for you, and we will get to it right after the short break. After a long, stressful day in my virtual office, I just want to curl up on the couch and get lost in a fantastic story with vivid characters I can love and love to hate. Is that too much to ask? Not at all. And thanks to Sundance Now, we always have something to watch that's binge-worthy and we can be obsessed with. Sundance Now is an ad-free streaming service created by AMC Networks for people who obsess over riveting storytelling and fresh perspectives. Sundance Now has original prestige dramas, international thrillers, and bone-chilling true crime shows. Every show is a sleek production with sexy lead characters. Like the hit British series, A Discovery of Witches, it's the perfect mix of period drama, romance, and edge-of-your-seat thriller. Seasons one and two are streaming now, and season three, the final season, started streaming on January 8th. So get Sundance now, now to start binging. There are already seven episodes of A Discovery of Witches out now, and the finale drops February 19th. You can stream Sundance Now on all your favorite devices for as low as $4.99 a month. Just download the app or watch online and discover exclusive shows from around the world instantly. I found my next TV obsession on Sundance Now, and you will too. Try Sundance Now for free for 30 days by going to SundanceNow.com and use the promo code MURDERINTHERAIN. That's one word. That's SundanceNow.com, code MURDERINTHERAIN for 30 days of free streaming. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up to your door in as little as two days. And when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out and choose more styles. Like many of you, my personal style has evolved over the years. But if I want to try something new, sometimes it's hard to know what pieces will work for me. Rather than going to the mall for hours or spending too much money on pieces I might not like, Armoire allows me to rent high-quality designer clothes for any occasion. I can try styles I never considered before without worrying about the store's return policy, like a pair of faux leather pants for my new band. Of course, all of this sounds great, but what's even better is that it's a woman-founded business. You benefit from finding the perfect outfits, all while supporting a business that was built by women just like us. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murder in the rain. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murder in the rain, one word, to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The next case isn't from the Pacific Northwest, but it has quite a few similarities with Ingrid Lyons' case, so I figured you guys would want to hear about it. So let's get into it. Christine Wood was 21 years old and a resident of Oxford House, which is a First Nations Cree community in northern Manitoba, Canada. In August of 2016, Christine was traveling with her parents to visit family in Winnipeg, and the three of them were staying in a hotel together. 
While in Winnipeg, Christine had plans to go out the night of August 19th and meet up with friends. She was seen leaving the Days Inn on Berry Street just after 9 p.m. When she didn't arrive back at the hotel and her parents couldn't locate or contact her the next day, they began to worry and eventually contacted police to file an official missing persons case two days later. The search for Christine dragged on for weeks, and investigators gathered dozens of leads and tracked each of them down, and they went nowhere. They didn't have any solid leads or persons of interest. Eventually, the case turned from a missing persons case to a homicide case. This tends to happen in some of these extended missing person cases. But that didn't mean it was going to disappear into the dark hole of cold cases that may never get solved. Investigators decided to gather social media records and execute warrants to gather Christine's phone records. This was in the hopes of finally finding a lead. It took four months to get access, but by January of 2017, they had information from her records that gave them a major lead in the form of a person of interest. Two Facebook messages were sent from Christine to two different men. The messages were sent at 12.58 a.m. and 12.59 a.m. on August 20th. They were basically Christine seeking drugs. Why they were of interest to police is that they were just hours after the last sighting of her and were the last messages she ever sent. Investigators looked into the IP addresses that both messages were sent from, and they realized both messages came from a single IP address. They had been sent on someone else's cell phone. The cell phone belonged to a man named Brett Overby. In late March, police executed a search warrant on Overby's home on Burroughs Avenue in Winnipeg. Luminol was used throughout the basement and it lit up everywhere. Both blood and cleaning agents had been used on several surfaces. They spent a total of six days searching his home and collecting evidence. The blood that was found was tested and determined to be a match for Christine. This evidence confirmed what police had already theorized, that Christine Wood had been murdered in the basement of Overby's home. On April 7, 2017, the forensic evidence had been confirmed and police moved to formally charge Brett Overby with Christine's murder, despite the fact that they didn't have a body. He was charged with second-degree murder. Second-degree murder in Manitoba is defined as intentionally killing another person, but doing so without planning or premeditation. The sentence for this crime is a mandatory life sentence. Good. Good job, Canada. Somebody's doing it right. We'll see. Ugh. During his initial interview, Overby told police that he didn't know who Christine was. And obviously, if he didn't know who she was, he definitely didn't murder her. Uh, did you have anything to do with the disappearance of Christine Wood? I don't know who she is. Okay. Um, and uh, would you be willing to take a polygraph test if we asked you to? I don't know what that is. Like a lie detector? I guess so. Yeah? Okay. Okay. Um, what do you think happened to this girl? I don't know. <laughs> Run away, maybe? Possibly? I don't know. Okay. Um, like if somebody, if, if we found out that somebody had actually, let's say, killed this girl, what do you think should happen to a person like that? Jail. Unfortunately for Brett, they had proof that he did know her. After looking through Christine's digital records, they found that she was a member of the popular dating site Plenty of Fish. And what do you know, one of the men she had been talking to was Brett Overby. So they had more than enough evidence to make the charges stick. He was going to trial for murder. Ten months after she disappeared, Christine's remains were discovered east of Winnipeg. On June 1st, 2017, a farmer and his son came across disturbed soil in their soybean field. I'm not sure exactly how disturbed the soil was, but it was suspicious enough for them to immediately call the RCMP. The disturbance ended up being a body, and the forensic team quickly uncovered and confirmed it was Christine's body. She had been wrapped in plastic and buried in a shallow grave. Further searches of the area recovered Christine's cell phone in an adjacent muddy field. It was missing the battery, but the battery was later found in another field. Christine's body was badly decomposed and it had been scavenged by animals. She was missing at least one limb. 
Her autopsy depicted a horrifically violent ending to her life. She had fractures to her head and leg and had been stabbed 14 times in her back and neck. The fracture to her skull was consistent with a significant heavy blow that the pathologist believed was caused by an object. He wasn't certain if Christine died from the blow to the head or the stab wounds, but she would have died by either. And ultimately, they noted that she died of extensive sharp and blunt force trauma. The plastic that was used to wrap Christine's body was later matched to the plastic Overby used to cover his wood pile in his backyard. He didn't bother thinking about that. Brett Overby went to trial in May of 2019. Thirteen witnesses in total were called to testify, one of which was Overby's ex-girlfriend, Shirley Hull. It was discovered during the investigation that Overby had texted Shirley on February 1st, 2017. That would be around the time that police had access to Christine's digital records. Here's one of the texts. Do me a favor. You don't know anything I do anymore, okay? I didn't do anything. It's just that I'm really nervous and would like them to stop bugging me, them being the cops. So please, woman, just say you don't know what I do or who I hang out with or anything. That's a big ask, but the pair had dated for nine years, so perhaps Overby thought the tenure of their relationship would buy him a little help from her. Clearly it didn't, because she ended up cooperating with police and explaining everything she knew on the stand. Firstly, even though the pair broke up, they were still friends. They texted regularly and hung out often. On August 20th, 2016, the day after Christine's last sighting, the day her last messages were sent on Facebook, and the day the investigators believed she was murdered, Shirley spoke to Overby on the phone. He acted normal. On the 21st, Shirley went to Overby's house to watch Orange is the New Black on Netflix. She mentioned that during her stay, he had clearly put in effort to make sure she had all of her favorite snacks, and he even tried to cuddle with her. But she says he was not successful. And this might be because she knew he was on plenty of fish and was dating multiple people. Apparently, their friendship was close enough that he was asking her opinion on what photos he should use on his profile. Shirley reviewed photo evidence of the basement during her testimony. She pointed out that a large hole in the drywall found in the basement was not previously there, previous being prior to August 19th. She also identified Brett in photos taken in the basement with a woman that was identified as Christine by her mother. These photos were taken late on August 19th, putting Brett and Christine together in the basement moments before she was murdered. It was not looking good for him. And he was arrogant enough to take a photo of them together? Three. And keep it? We'll have them up on the blog. Though he initially pled not guilty to killing Christine, the evidence and testimony against him was strong, and he eventually admitted to killing her during his trial, essentially saying that he didn't mean to kill her. He went on to say that they had made plans to meet up after connecting on Plenty of Fish and that at some point during the night, she tried to attack him by punching him. He said she then calmed down and he suggested they go to the basement so he could show her a mouse skeleton. Because he's 14? Yeah, I'm not sure what the appeal is with that. But they went down there because while they were down there, Overby claimed that she attacked him with a knife. He says at that point he just snapped and blacked out and he doesn't remember even killing her. But he eventually snaps out of his fugue state to find her laying face down in a pool of blood right beside his workout bench. He then loaded her up in his car, drove about a half hour to dump her body in the soybean field, took the battery out of her cell phone and threw those into the field. Then he returned home to clean up his basement. The jury found Overby guilty of second-degree murder, and his punishment for taking the life of a 19-year-old girl was life in prison, a sentence of a maximum 25 years in Canada. He'll be eligible for parole after 15 years. Well, that one's pretty disappointing i think now we know canada from our previous stories is big on rehabilitation Mm -hmm. and their sentences usually are about 20 years for life so i'm not surprised i guess to me i don't necessarily buy second degree murder he's basically saying he never intended to do it he got mad and did it but that's i don't know why that's ever less 
that to me like, is, how is, that different is so than much worse. I feel like I not that I mean let's you, be okay. let's be real here, true Let, crime people. Let's be real. There are times where you can say, you know, I can understand why that person would maybe uh, think that way or get to that point or be at the end of their rope and and plan something so horrendous. You can you can almost understand it. This to me is so much worse and scarier and more dangerous because you cannot know when that's going to come out of a person. Yeah, that is full on I mean like a feral animal at that point. Of like, yeah. "Oh, sorry, I just blacked out." And you know what? I don't know what what it is with these cases. I get upset every case always, as we all do. We and all this, leave here mad. That's why we have the bloopers. Yeah, that's the, that's the fun of it. This just has me so furious right now. I am genuinely just furious. If there was an animal or a, a virus or something that attacked women at the rate and the senselessness that men do... You're going to go on an account. That is just like you're setting up a trap. You are a predator. It, it almost feels like it should be a new degree yes, to these crimes. It really should. It like Because you're luring. You're luring at that point. But yeah. they're saying he had no idea he was going to do that. But I do question what what is the actual history of making a difference between premeditation mm-hmm. and just a reaction? Mm-hmm. And, you know, do these people... I would love to see studies and perhaps you know maybe i'll go on a google spiral of like try to get some sleep tonight (laughs) right do these guys know that about themselves beforehand whether they're a rapist or Mm. a murderer if they're willing to have a genuine conversation with someone to say i had a concern that i could do that at some point or i always thought about doing it or just something i'd like to say usually they know like in the first case in ingrid's Mm -hmm. case he had a clear pattern of mm-hmm. drunk, being drunk and being violent and saying nasty yeah. things. And that, that sounded like maybe he self-medicates with alcohol or just has right. an issue. But this one, I mean, it apparently came out of nowhere. Right. But I have to think drugs might be involved in this guy's life. Maybe he's also self-medicating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the idea of whether or not they knew ahead of time, but also the constant argument. I, maybe that's what has me even more fired up right now. The constant argument of they attacked me. Oh, blaming her. Uh, and I'm, when it's and like, where did she get the knife? It was his knife. It was in the basement. Yeah, so she just happened to find his knife and just decided to. Th- and I'm not saying that you know it's not like women. She could have been have defending herself. Issues. Maybe exactly. he was attacking her. And that's not to say women can't have mental health issues or also snap like men sure. do. It's just not as often and not as common. And the other thing is, usually, for the most part, a larger man especially to a 19-year-old girl, a teenager, could probably overpower her, not to the extent of murdering her. So that doesn't hold up either. It's like to have the argument be, she was beating me up, and then I stabbed her 14 times. It's like, go to hell. So here's the other thing. it's They're saying it's not premeditated, but what about going through all the effort to cover it up? Mm-hmm. Doesn't that almost imply premeditation? Can we make a fact? new law of like post-meditation? Exactly. Like, what were your thoughts after? Did you because call the police and say I snapped? Same thing with Ingrid. He dismembered her yeah that should be harsher yes always it you know what is it like just a few years for abuse of a corpse mm-hmm. that is heinous and the the kind of person that can dismember someone that is scary mm-hmm. just alone for for what the family had to go through who had to identify her for yeah. the family yeah. and and in that condition you know, it's just luckily it is, the police did, but right. But I mean, had not she always. been had she been actually out there longer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. You know, so it's just yeah. There is something. There's something to the time that that takes to cut someone into pieces and wrap them up and dispose of like, them. That takes hours. So much time and so much. You know, we've talked about that in other cases. The physical effort that that takes. You know, the episode with the... Oh, yeah. Not, the, a, and not everyone can cut through a bone. Yeah. Like the episode I did about the guy who killed his parents and he gave up on this yeah, member. I them. actually thought of that case when I was doing this one. Yeah, because he got so tired. And this guy, the way he interacted with his parents was similar to that uh-huh, case. Yeah. So you were mentioning earlier that you just read about another case yeah, like so this. Yeah, so it's interesting because you and I joke sometimes about how we're on the same wavelength. So we end up coming in with similar cases or a similar theme or something. 
Um, this is you on a whole different wavelength because this came out um, on the 4th, February 4th. Um, and this is just from a People article. This isn't any part of our episode. Just This just, just happened. Um, so a Mormon teen, so Ashley Wadsworth, who was 19, she left Canada, which is where she lived for the first time. She was actually moving to England to be with this boyfriend. And she had never met him in person? Um, I think they only like have met online. Time? Like I said, this is just from the People article, so oh, I'm just okay. kind of We skimming. don't know the details yet. Um, okay, so I, yeah, so she went there in November, and then uh, just, you know, in this last week, neighbors called because they heard a loud argument, Uh-oh. and uh, the police arrived, and Ashley's body was found in the boyfriend's bed, stabbed to death. and i mean this just came so there's she literally gave up her whole life to be with him Mm -hmm. oh my god and like and on top of that the guy was in the bed with her just oh that's i guess just waiting for the police or something awful that reminds me of that russian guy that stole the corpses and had him in his bedroom so there's literally nothing the guy has been arrested horrible So he's, yeah, he's just sitting in jail waiting for. Yeah. And there's not like, I, he, I don't even think they've had a hearing yet or wow. anything because this just happened. So had I seen that, I would have included it. Well, I, that's what I mean is like. Maybe you I, could cover that I, on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hours old. And, and, you know, there is something about uh, the internet. I know I see memes a lot where, uh, you know, one girl, she'll be doing a video and she's like, oh, I'm just on an airplane to go meet this guy I just met online. And he said, I don't have to worry about my bills anymore. And then the caption is like, you know, Ted Bundy would have been having the time of his life these Uh, days. Yeah. You know, and it's like it is. I'm telling you, it's the access. It's easy access and to be able to fudge who you are so easily. And I think there is something to that kind of how in life, uh, people that tend to be controlling or manipulative find people that are more vulnerable and malleable. And I think that's part of the online thing because there are people, you know, for myself, I was like, oh, my God, I have to my age has to be exact. My height has to, I can't lie on this. This is I'm presenting myself because you don't want to disappoint someone. When yeah. You and them. I just that's not how my brain. Not my everybody's brain, like that. Exactly. And I think that that's part of who finds each yeah. other. Yeah. Well, and then the other side of that is they have ample opportunities to keep trying because yeah. somebody may go, ah, red flag, red flag. Mm-hmm. And then they eventually find someone who maybe is more naive or yeah. doesn't get the red flags. As someone who's basically the antithesis of Emily when it comes to online dating, as I've been on a lot of online dates, you know, the one I, I've had the one that went bad, I don't take blame or responsibility, but. I did not know the guy and I went to his apartment and was in his room and things happened that I wish they hadn't. That's not to say that's my fault. It's all on him. But looking back, it's like, what was I thinking? And what could you have done? And And I don't know if that's from the work we do here or with age. Age, both, probably both. But that would never, I mean, I'm not dating, but that would never happen now. That's why I have... My one-hour dates, I think I've talked about them before. I will talk about them always. If you're meeting someone from online, you show up and you say, this is not a date. This is one hour to meet each other. And you set your phone alarm and you set it down in front of them and you're in public. And after that hour, then you decide if you want to go on an actual date or something. And it has saved me so many horrible, long, boring dinners. And that's perfect that you say that because I'm going to end this with tips on staying safe so these are very scary stories and as you can imagine they happen all too often I even did a TikTok a few months ago about a girl who she met someone in an online chat group and he ended up kidnapping her and keeping her in her in the Ugh. basement and she luckily escaped but this happens all too often and, and we talk can... about it all the time of going back to your intro how many times was I asked were we all asked What's your age, sex, and location? What's your bra size? What's the most you've ever done? Yeah. Like those were the conversations. AOL, and you baby. look back. Yeah. And you look back and you go, Wow, what? now that I'm older, that was probably I mean, like a I always year- lied about those. That was like but- a fifty year old guy or something, <laughs> you know, you had no idea who you were dealing with. Or a mean girl at school. <laughs> All right. So here are the tips. And these come from rain.org. And some of these I never considered, like this one. Use different photos for your dating profile than you do on Instagram or Facebook. And this is why. If you're one of those people who, like me, did not connect your dating app to your social media, they can still 
take a copy or your picture, reverse search it and find your social media. And if you're not as private on those, they can find your location. They can find where you work. Like, really, I never thought about that because we're all like we only have so many pictures that we think are the right, perfect pictures. Right. But that's a great tip. And that's mm -hmm. easy to do. Avoid sus accounts. These are usually too good to be true. Maybe they're perfect looking. Maybe they don't have a bio. But that usually means it's not a real person. And sure, you might be passing up Zac Efron. We all saw that BuzzFeed list. But chances are that's a catfish. Block and report suspicious users. Don't just ignore them. You could stop them from duping someone else, someone who might be more naive than you or has you know, never been on a mm -hmm. dating app before. And it's better to say something and not be sure than to not. Right. Examples of common red flags, personal or financial crises. They disappear and then reappear under a new name. Vague answers to your questions. Pressures you for your phone number. Asks you for your work or home address to send gifts. Tells crazy stories that might be inconsistent. Don't ever share personal info, bank info, social security, birth date. These things should always be private. And, of course, video chat before you meet. And I'm guessing you never did that. No. That's that's a, a must-have these days, I think. Yeah, prob I mean, probably now. I haven't online dated in several years at this point. But, uh, I mean, maybe. But, I, again, I always met in public. Yeah. So. Well, and that's and And I was lucky one. that I didn't. <laughs> right. I was lucky that I didn't have. Uh, I never had the weird account or, like, the the fake person or anything but i i do realize how lucky that was yeah that is pretty or maybe it's just gotten more popular since yeah then. that's true so this does say meet in person in a public place first if they give you any weird vibes do not go anywhere with them and sometimes even if they don't maybe save that for the next day i'm not telling you how to live your life and but... don't plan on like oh i'll meet up in an uber and you can give me a ride exactly that's the next one arrange your own wheels Did i write these i know do not <laughs> Rely on a stranger to drive you home. Also, always tell a friend where you're going and who you're going with. I have friends <clears throat> who sent me screenshots of all the people they went on dates with, mm -hmm. i.e. Alicia, mm -hmm. and I, I thought that was very smart of her. I have another friend who shares her location, and that's and I it's can so creep simple. Watch, it's not hey. like you have to. It's not like you have to share things about the person. You can just say, "This is Steve. We're meeting at this place at this time." There you go. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a, of a big picture. deal. Yeah. And then maybe check in, make a plan to check in with them when you're done with the date. Now, if something is off, ask for help. Most bartenders have training in how to handle these situations. I follow a TikTok account at Benji Spears. He is amazing. He talks about something called an angel shot. That if you go up to a bartender and you say, I need an angel shot, they have different variations like on the rocks, straight up to kind of gauge what you need from them. So follow him. You're going to get some crazy good tips. And then I have a couple of personal tips as well, even though I don't have as much online experience as you. Try to stick with verified accounts so that you know you're not getting a catfish. And if their accounts are connected to social media, get your detective eyeglass out and dig in before meeting them because you're going to learn a lot. And then my favorite, but also a controversial tip, <laughs> comes from a story. One time, my friend who I know is listening to this right now, hey, <laughs> we were out on vacation and she met up with a guy she was talking to on Tinder and wanted to have a one-nighter. And we made him allow us to take a photo of his license. And he was cool with it because he knew he knew it was going down. And this was twofold. A, we knew where to send the cops if something fishy happened. But B, we knew where to pick her up the next morning without having to ask. Yeah. <laughs> so it really worked out for everyone. And the same goes, uh, another tip I have is if you aren't sure or if you're new into it and you're feeling like nervous to meet someone, they should be okay giving you like their full name and perhaps a social media. So I, I know yeah. it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, a, a little bit of a... Most guys are willing to if they're going to be getting it. I'm exactly. sorry. <laughs> no, it's true. And so it's like if they do that, then it's like, oh, OK, I can see where they work or I can see they have a real account or I can Google them. And, you know, they've been in the news for something positive. If someone isn't hiding anything, 
that shouldn't be right. an issue. And this goes for guys and girls. And it might be harder for a guy, a bunch of guy friends to get a girl's social media right. and her personal info. Right. But this is both ways. Like everyone needs protection. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of stalkers are women. So mm-hmm. we can't just say it's all men. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. sure. And I and there it is a, a fine line of being able to get information so you feel safe yeah. while also you know, holding that same boundary in respect of what amount of information you would be comfortable giving. Right. Now, even with all these tips, Ingrid and Christine's fate may not have been any different, but I hope that their stories can help other people avoid a bad situation. So please, please, please share your location with someone you trust if you're going on a date. Make sure you tell them who you're with and where you're going to be and when you're going to be back and try to check in after that date to stay safe. Honestly, ladies, has any tender dick ever been worth your life? Come on. She would say yes. <laughs> she married hers. That was a Tinder hookup? Along the same lines of the naivete, have been very blessed to have never received a dick pic, solicited or not. However, a couple years ago, a friend of mine, he did send one to someone that he was chatting with and just having a good a good time and it was requested and then after that as soon as the picture was sent they said I know your name I have all your social media I have your this person's name and that person's name uh they were you know referencing that person's family and said you're gonna send me two hundred dollars or I'm sending it to everyone the guy panicked, sent some money, then pulled it back, and he got some support from the bank and stuff, and it was a whole nightmare. So, gentlemen, even if it's requested, beware. So that is the image-based sexual exploitation. It is often used to get money. Yeah. And I do have another friend who went through, through something similar. They were exploring their sexuality. That person sent those pictures to every one of his family members that he had the phone number for. So... <sighs> Don't send them. But also, I heard a great tip. If someone sends you an unwanted dick pic, this guy says to circle, take a screenshot, circle the image, send it back and go, what is that? (laughs) You should have that checked out. That's not normal. And then just leave them. Don't say anything else. And I thought that was really great. Block them and scare them. Yep. (laughs) And my hands are washed of you. So stay safe out there, guys. Good shit, good shit. All right, are we yeah, ready yeah, to yeah. work? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that means I'm one of the few old... No, I did it again. <laughs> Kick me in the head. <laughs> Humankind... Whoop. <laughs> Online conversations turn into real-life liaisons. Liaisons. Liaison. <laughs> A wolf's and sheep's... A wolf in sheep's clothing thrives behind the scene. Screen. Fuck. <laughs> Sorry, I yelled. <laughs> choke and die. I my biggest fear is choking and dying alone. Because one time I was at work and we had this like little nook that was behind a bookshelf, so uh-huh. no one could see you. And I used to nap there all the time. Well, I was eating, and I choked. And I was like, no one's gonna. They're gonna fucking find me dead in the corner. And I somehow heimlicked myself. Oh my god. It was. The scariest You've moment. choked to where you had to Heimlich yourself? Uh-huh. On a chair. I can't believe I've never heard this. Because I'm embarrassed about no, it. No. <laughs> did you know embarrassment is the number one cause of death with choking? That most people that Because they don't want to ask for most help. Most people that choke die in the bathroom because they're choking at the table and they don't want to make a scene and they go to the bathroom and they choke so and die. So my problem was- Put was... that in the bloopers or something. People need to hear that. My problem is it was at lunchtime and nobody was there with me. You got to get, what's our thing called? We have a, the hook. we have a choke I thing. just go in the bathroom and get the plunger. <laughs> we do. It's like a little mouth plunger. And it's it. like, uh, I saw a woman on TikTok, a video of her saving her child with one. Yeah. She's like, I can't believe I had this yeah. in my house. We and have it above the microwave, especially now with the kids here. And I got, th- smart. I got three of them for like a hundred bucks. I got That's one for my parents' very house, smart. for here and for the kids' house. Well, dang, I'm going to get myself one. Yeah, you really Carry should. I feel so, I've had times where it's like, I'm not choking, but maybe something goes down wrong or it's like that little bit of choke and I'm immediately like, 
so much more calm because I'm like, I know it's right there and I can, I've practiced. Can get it out. Yeah. You practice? Well, like put it together <laughs> and like, no, no, no. You like, I'm picturing him like, put your grape in my mouth. <laughs> Just I in put, case. I put it in Josh's mouth while he's sleeping. Oh, and then that I makes more sense. <laughs> more s- okay. <clears throat> <laughs> and was returning them to their mothers. Oh, I love bashing men. Come here. Let me bash you. <laughs> I think I might have been blackout drunk when I was writing this. <laughs> and I had sex. <laughs> no, I definitely did not. It's like cobweb central. Murder in the Rain is produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Written and hosted by Emily Rowney and Alicia Holland. Artwork by Jamie Costa. Music by Kai Pfeiffer at kyfifer.com. Check out our website, murderintherain.com, for additional information on all cases, a fun interactive map, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive our newsletter. Check out the Mad Props page for coupon codes from some of our sponsors. We love your reviews and seeing them on all streaming platforms, especially iTunes. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And suck my balls. (laughs) Please put that in. (laughs) 